So when you were a kid, did your kids, did your parents ever say anything that really didn't help? Like it was a response, uh, it was an answer, but it really wasn't an answer, it really didn't make things any better. For example, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, parents ever say this, like, how does that help? You know, that's, I have something to cry about or I wouldn't be crying, right? And then now I'm going to cry because you're going to give me something else to cry about in addition to what I'm already crying about. Just, just doesn't have, sometimes parents give us advice or make statements that, that they don't really help or maybe they're not even really true. It's just in the moment it was the right thing. To say for the parent, like, um, uh, of course you'll use calculus after you get out of school. Like, um, it makes the parents feel better, but it may not be altogether true, and it, and it, it may not have like any actionable steps to, to correct the problem. We, we've been talking about this idea of struggles, and for the past three weeks, we've taken specific kind of practical struggles that, that most of us experience throughout our life. And, we, and we've talked about some practical steps in each one of those. Like, here's some things, according to the Bible, that you could do if you're struggling in this area. So, one, two, three, four, five. And hopefully there's value in that. Hopefully I didn't waste my time the past three weeks on those. Hopefully there's some real value for us in looking at those practical steps. But today, as we wrap this series up, I'm not going to give practical suggestions to a specific struggle. It's not going to be like a do one, two, three, four tomorrow, and that's going to help you in your struggles. As helpful as that is, maybe, I think it's equally helpful, maybe, maybe more helpful to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of struggles? What's, what's being accomplished in struggles? Why, why are there struggles uh, in our life? Because let's be honest, if it were left up to me in, in my life, I would clear all the struggles out of the way. I would remove all of the obstacles for me and my family, and everything would be easy, and all the prayers would get answered the way we prayed them and wanted them, and there would just be kind of this smooth path throughout our life. And yet we experience struggles. We experience problems, weaknesses. Why? What's happening in the middle of our struggle? So you may not walk away today with like three things to do tomorrow. And, and, you, and you may walk away thinking, well, well, thanks for telling me you'd give me something to cry about. Like that's, that's as much as that kind of solved anything for me. But perhaps more than just practical tips today, maybe we'll walk away with a new way of looking at our struggles, a renewed vision for what's actually happening in our struggles. To do that, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. It's toward the end of the Bible, almost at the very end, about halfway through the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. Some of you know 2 Corinthians is written by a guy named Paul. It was a letter that he sent to a particular group of people in the city called Corinth. And what you may not know about Paul, you may not have put together about Paul, is that Paul was 
seemingly always under attack from somebody. It's like somebody was always mad at Paul. Somebody was always dissatisfied with his decisions or who he was or what he was doing. And maybe you feel like that sometimes. Maybe there are periods of your life it's like, I can't make anybody happy. Everybody's upset with me. Paul felt that all the time. And, and some of the attacks came from the Romans. Some of it came from Jewish people. Some of it came from other Christians, people who called themselves Christians, and they just didn't like Paul, they didn't like his popularity, or they didn't like his message. And for whatever reason, there was this kind of piling on effect when it came to uh, the Apostle Paul. In chapters 11 and 12, he's dealing specifically with another group of preachers, basically, who sort of have their own message and their own way, and they, they don't like the fact that people are following Paul, so they're trying to discredit Paul. They're trying to say, look, he's not like us. He's not good enough. You shouldn't be following him. You shouldn't be listening to his message. So Paul begins to address this. As a matter of fact, in chapter 11, verse 5, he calls these apostles, or these preachers, he calls them super apostles. I mean, let's talk about those super apostles, which without a doubt was Paul's way of being sarcastic. And all throughout 11 and 12, Paul's quite sarcastic in these two chapters, which is probably why I like Paul so much, because he's just good at kind of little zingers and kind of little sarcastic comments, uh, not just here, but in a lot of his writings. And so Paul's beginning to defend himself against these Attacks. Now, we're going to talk about struggles in just a little bit. Let me go ahead and give a disclaimer. We're going to swing like way out to left field, so stay with me for about five minutes, and then we're going to come back. So here's Paul. He's defending himself, himself against these attacks, and in order to do that, Paul's having to give a resume of his own past and, and, and all of the things that, that make him a good person to listen to. And this is the last thing that Paul wants to do. The last thing he wants to do is say, hey, look at me. Look at the things that I've done. Hey, look at what I've experienced. This happened in my spiritual life. These are the, all the things that God has done for me. But there's this tension going on because the Corinthians are wanting to follow the celebrity pastors. Right? They're wanting to follow the guys who have the best stories, and they're the best communicators, and they're, they're, uh, they have the best spiritual experience. They have all of these mysterious, kind of weird spiritual experiences. And there's this allegiance, this, there's this following to the guy who has the best story and the best experience and the best video board and the nicest building and the most Twitter followers because, let's be honest, celebrity worship didn't end 2,000 years ago. There's a whole lot of celebrity worship still in the church today, and I'll leave that right there. Verse 11, Paul says, this is verse one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. All right, this is his first sarcastic kind of zinger. Paul says, look, if you need my resume, I'll give you my resume. I just want you to know this is dumb that I'm having to do this. It's really stupid that I'm having to take time to convince you that I'm equally spiritual with all of these other people. And he says this all throughout chapters 11 and 12. He says, I can't believe I'm having to do this. 
I can't believe that I'm having to tell you why you should be listening to me. I can't believe I'm having to prove to you that you should listen to what I have to say and not follow those other people. You should be smart enough to see through what they're doing. You should be smart enough to realize they're not genuine and they're not authentic, but apparently you're not smart enough to see that. So now I've got to tell you about my own resume and my credentials and what I've done, and this is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do, but I'm going to do it. Because I don't want you to be misled. So then Paul begins to say, yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a descendant of Abraham, just like they're claiming. All of that stuff about my family and my lineage and my descendant, same thing. And then he begins to say, look how hard I've worked for you. I've done this. I've done this. I've done all of these things to try to help you. Don't you remember all of those things that I've done for you? And then he gets to chapter 12. And he says, I must go on boasting. I must keep bragging. This is stupid, but I'm having to boast about myself. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. All right, you're so enamored with these guys who tell you that they've had visions from God. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my vision story. This is stupid. I can't believe I'm having to brag on myself just to get your attention. But here goes, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Paul is so embarrassed by what he's having to do that Paul goes third person on him. You notice that? Like, I know this guy. It's really me, but I, I, this is embarrassing to me. So I'm just going to say, hey, there was this guy. Ever seen athletes interviewed and they switch to third person? There's, like Ken's going to preach a really great message today. You need to listen to Ken today. Right, Ken, they, they, they go into that whole third person deal. That's Paul here in chapter 12. Because he's so embarrassed that he's having to talk about his own spiritual experiences. He says, yeah, I know a guy. It was a long time ago. And yeah, he got taken up into heaven. And read it. It's kind of funny. Paul says, I don't know if he went there in his body or if he just had a vision. God knows. I have no clue. There's this guy. He went up to heaven. He saw all these awesome things. So if you want a celebrity, listen. That guy did that. He went up to heaven. He he looked around. As a matter of fact, God told him stuff. And then God said, hey. You can't tell anybody what I just told you. You can't go back down to earth and tell people what I told you. That's the kind of cool stuff that that guy that I'm talking about, that guy, Paul, that I'm talking about, that's the cool stuff he saw because God said, don't tell anybody. I mean, Paul was the first guy to be able to look at people and say, I can't tell you if I tell you, I'm going to have to kill you, right? Because God told me, I can't tell you this stuff, but I saw really cool stuff and it's dumb that I'm having to explain this because this is really between me and God, but you kind of want a celebrity pastor. So this is what actually happened in my life, which is kind of strange reading that in 2015 because the truth is in 2015, if this happens to somebody, they write a book about it, right? And then they sell the movie rights about it. And millions of Christians buy tickets to go watch a movie about somebody that went to heaven. And 2,000 years ago, Paul said, this is the dumbest story I've ever had to tell. Because this is not what I'm wanting to talk to you. This doesn't help you at all to know that I went to heaven and then I came back and I have these stories to tell. And these other stories I can't tell. I don't want to talk about this. In verse 6, Paul says, I mean, it really happened. It really happened to that guy. You know that guy I'm talking about? It, it, it really happened to him? So yeah, I could, I could brag about it if I wanted to. I, that's not what I want to brag about. That's not what I want you to know about me. So what does Paul want them and us to know about Paul? Well, he gets to that in the middle of verse 7, chapter 12. Therefore, yeah, I've had all of these great experiences. All of these things, 
I could go on the speaking tour and I could tell all my great stories if I wanted to. But in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more. In other words, this is what I want to tell you about. This is what I want you to know about me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Chapter 11 and 12. Look, this is so dumb that I'm having to having to puff myself up in front of you and like tell you all my stories. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I struggle just like you do. And that's what I want us to talk about. I want to come clean. I don't want to be up on a pedestal. I don't want to be some celebrity guy that you look at and say, oh, wow, he did all these great things. What I want is for us to be able to have a conversation and me look you in the eye and say, you know what? I got, I got weaknesses too. I got struggles too. That's what I want to talk about. Now, why does Paul want that to be his message and not this superstar Paul, this celebrity Paul? A couple of reasons. Paul has realized that our struggles are what strengthen us. Not our celebrity status. What strengthens us on the inside, in our spirit, what strengthens us emotionally... What strengthens us are when we have to struggle. Now, we know this to be true physically, right? We know that the way to make a muscle of our body stronger is to put it under stress, to make it struggle. And as the muscle struggles, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Our, our, our cardiovascular system, in order to make it stronger, our heart and our lungs, we have to put pressure on. We have to put stress on it. We have to cause it to struggle. And when it struggles for a little while, our muscles, our cardiovascular system, heart and lungs, they all get stronger. Now, we wish this weren't true, don't we? We wish that we could sit on the couch and watch Redbox and get washboard abs, don't we? Like, that's what we want. It's like just a big bowl of ice cream, some popcorn, and a Netflix marathon. And like, I got these great biceps. And we know that doesn't happen. If we're going to have biceps or, or triceps, we're going to have to put our muscles under pressure to get that. You can't skip leg day and have nice calves or quads, right? I mean, you actually have to do the exercise. You actually have to stress your muscles in order for them to get stronger. And Paul says, what I found in my life, I get stronger when I'm weak, when there's struggle in my life, when there's pressure in my life. That's, that's when I get stronger. And he's not just talking about emotionally stronger. It's not, it's not just I, I gain some perseverance, even though that's true. It's not just relational strength. Paul is very specific that he gets spiritual strength when he's under pressure. This is verse 9 of chapter 12, second part. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Notice he didn't say, when I went to heaven and like I strolled around 
Like I got a little tour of heaven. I didn't come back to earth and just have this great power from Jesus because I saw into heaven and I had all these cool things happen to me. Paul says, when I struggle, I I sense a power from Jesus that I don't experience any other time. I can't explain it. I, I don't know what caused it. I just know that in those moments of weakness and struggle, I feel Christ getting stronger in me. I feel Jesus empowering me. Now, that's not to say we should all go look for a struggle this afternoon, right? Like, probably most of us know where we could get one or two. You don't need to go find one. Paul even prayed, God, if you could take this away from me. He says, I prayed three times. Like, just over and over, I'm asking God, could you take this away? Could you take this away? And God didn't take it away, so I'm coming clean with you that God's giving me power to live in this struggle, not to get out of this struggle. I'm not suggesting we go try to find struggles. All I'm saying is when they find us, and they always find us, don't they? Like weaknesses and struggle and pressure, they find us. Paul is saying that is the moment that you will discover the power of Jesus in a way that you can't discover any other way. It's kind of like when you have a sick kid as a parent. I'm, like, I'm always the dad of my three girls, right? I, I try to be attentive. I, I, try, to, I, I try to be uh, present for them. But there's something about a hurt child or a sick child that as a parent, you just kind of rush to them, right? And you hold them and you wrap them in blankets and put them on the couch and you bring them stuff and you wait with them and you, you sit with them. God obviously is always with us. He's always God. He's always our Father. But there's something about the struggles in our life that we sense this nearness of God in a new way. We sense this power of God. That's why Paul writes in verse 10, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. Like This is what I want us to talk about. Is that we're really the same. I'm not some on a pedestal preacher guy. We really struggle together. I'm like you. I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, that's when I get strong. When I'm weak, that is when I sense a strength from God that I don't experience any other time in my life. That that doesn't mean that my struggles are fun and like they're easy and, and, and it's just one big party. No, my struggles are struggles. And yet in my struggles, my heart gets strengthened. Another reason I think Paul wants to talk about this and not all of those experiences. In our struggles, God's glory takes center stage. Like when I'm promoting me, when I'm talking about what I've accomplished and my resume and my credentials and even my spiritual experiences, even if I kind of... If I kind of wrap those in spiritual language, still it's, it's shining a light on me. And that's why Paul struggled so much in chapters 11 and 12 to say, look, this is so foolish. This is dumb to talk about this because this is making you think things about me. This is causing you to look at me. As a matter of fact, in verse 6 of chapter 12, Paul says, look, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. You're going to think I'm better than I am. I'm not. I'm just like you. I struggle. I have weaknesses. And when I bring those out, they don't make me look better. 
They make the power of God at work in me look better. Paul wants to talk about his weaknesses because in his weaknesses, God gets glory, not Paul. Paul just says, look, I'm nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing to add here. I'm weak. I'm stumbling. I'm struggling. And yet in my nothingness, in my weakness, Jesus has become everything. He's become all that I needed. He's become the strength that I needed in my life. Something else happens in our struggles. Our struggles give us clarity. When we're walking through those times of pressure and struggle and weakness, it's amazing how clear things start to get. We, we begin to realize priorities and what's really important and what I really want to build my life around. This past week, I was out walking the man dogs and um, we, we have two killer Yorkies if you don't follow me on social media. So I'm, I'm out walking the man dogs uh, around the neighborhood and I call them man dogs. It just kind of helps their self-esteem. So uh, I'm out walking the man dogs around the, the neighborhood, and fall has come, and we've had some pretty cold temperatures at night. And so leaves are falling everywhere. And our, our subdivision, it kind of got started right as the, the real estate market crashed, so there's still a lot of empty lots, and we've got woods around us on our cul-de-sac. So it's just a lot of woods. And as, I, as I'm walking the, the dogs this past week, I'm remembering what all's back in the woods. Like I can see back in them now. Now that the leaves have fallen, I go, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that was over there. I forgot it looked like. It's really clear. It's really uh, a lot of space in there. We can, we can see behind our house now and across the little, little ditch creek thing that's in the backyard and where the treehouse uh, was that our kids never play on anymore. We get, it's like this open space suddenly because all the leaves have fallen and Pressure and stress in our life tend to do that. Struggles in our life are kind of like winter. They're darker and, and colder and drearier. But, but what happens is all the excess stuff just kind of falls away. And we're reminded, oh yeah, this is what's really there. Oh, this is what's really important. This is, this is what I really need to prioritize in my life. And, and every year it's the same thing. Like at the end of winter, I, I cannot imagine all the leaves back, even though we've been there, you know, seven or eight years. I, I can't imagine like it's just going to get covered up again in leaves. But sure enough, summer comes and like it's all covered again. And then winter comes and it's clear again. Our, our struggles give us that sort of clarity. And, and if, if we're so angry, at our struggle or at God or at someone else, if, if we're in such a hurry to just, I got to get out of this, I want to fix this, I want this to be done, we, we may miss the view that we only get when we're struggling. The view that we only get in winter, the view, the clarity, the, the, the value and priority of life that we only get when life is not going exactly the way we want it to. Then, during our struggles, we find that our struggles make us more real, more authentic, and more approachable. 
See, I think that's why Paul didn't want to talk about all his credentials. Because he knew that his great experiences, all of his degrees and his, and his background and his lineage, that whole thing did not serve to connect him relationally to anybody else. What connected Paul to the people that he served and loved was that he was real. And he was willing to say, look, you need to know who I am today. And the who I am today has struggles just like you do. And yeah, there's stuff, you know, there's cool stuff back there. But but I want you to know who I am today. I want you to know me right now. And I want to say to you, I have weaknesses in the same way that you have weaknesses. We are in this together. I'm no different from you. In Romans 7, some of you are familiar with this passage. Paul goes through this explanation of of basically saying, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I know I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not doing it. And then there's these other things that I know I need to quit doing, and I can't quit doing those things. In other words, I'm like you. I'm like you. Don't put me like way up here. I'm like you. I struggle too. Because I think Paul knew, and certainly it's true, that We idolize celebrity, but we connect with authenticity. I mean, we like celebrities. We're a celebrity-driven culture. But we don't connect with celebrities. We think they're great. We think they're cool. We think it'd be awesome to be their best friend, but we're not their best friend. I'm sorry, you're not Taylor Swift's best friend. You're not, all right? There's not that connection with celebrities. We idolize celebrity, put people on pedestals, think that they're awesome, But we connect with authenticity. We connect with people who say, yeah, I'm I'm like you, you're like me. I struggle too. I've got weaknesses too. I've got pain too. I've got things in my life that are difficult just like you. Paul said, that's what I want to talk about. I want us to talk about how in our weaknesses, Jesus is strong. Just just so you know a little bit about me and my thinking, not that you ask, but you don't have a choice. So just so you know a little bit about me, I, I have an unhealthy, I'll admit it, it's an, I have an unhealthy aversion to popular preacher language. Um, preachers adopt kind of their own language, like it's like, like you need a decoder ring sometimes to figure out what preachers are saying. So, so little words or phrases get to be real popular. And this was true in the old days too, like the fiery Baptist preacher. Like they, they had their phrases. But even today, like the 25-year-old, 30-year-old, young, hip, cool pastors, um, they have their own kind of language too. And, and whenever I notice that there's a particular word that like all the preachers are slipping into their talks... Or this particular phrase, I'm not giving you an example because I don't want to be mean, but there's like, there's like this language that hip pastors use now. And whenever I detect that, my immediate reaction is, I am never using that word as long as I live. Um, but there's a little phrase, and I've heard a lot of preachers use it. I don't know who wrote about it in a book first, or who came up with it first, but like everybody's sort of grabbing onto it, and it's a perfect picture for today. So I'm going to break this rule. It's the simple phrase, 
Me too. One of the most powerful things that you and I can ever say to another person is, me too. In chapters 11 and 12, Paul's saying, look, I don't want to talk about the stuff that's going to make you think I'm some superstar. I want to look you in the eye when it comes to your struggle and when it comes to my struggle. And I want to say, me too. Because that's what will connect us. Think about it. When you're in a conversation with somebody and they say, me too, you immediately have a connection. When you're talking to somebody and say, oh yeah, I grew up in, and they go, me too. There's like a connection. And then you begin to say, well, I'm related to this person. When, when did you graduate? When did you live there? Who do you know? Do we know some of the same people? Me too has like this powerful connecting force. Behind it, when you say to somebody, you're like, I love Mexican, and they go, me too. Let's go to lunch, right? Let's, like this immediate connection with just two words, me too. When somebody says, hey, my favorite television show is The Walking Dead, and they reply, you're a freak. <laughs> no, they say, me too. That was, I'm sorry, that was the point. The point was to say, me too. They say, me too, and then there's two freaks, but you're connected, <laughs> Right? You have a connection. And somebody just says, yeah, me too. And you share with somebody, I'm, I'm struggling this week. I, I, here's, here's what I'm dealing with. This is the pressure that's on me. And they look at it, and they're not faking it. And they're not trying to, trying to be something they're not. They just say, me too. I know what that's like. I've been there too. I am there too. Me too. I understand. Boy, there's something powerful about me too. And you know instinctively when you're talking to a me too person. With whatever you're going through, you know when somebody knows. A lot of you know that in 1997, my dad uh, died of cancer. After about a year and a half of, of um, surgeries and, and hospitals and hopes and then reoccurrences and, and parking decks and long dreary hallways and exhaustion and losing weight and watching him fade away and sitting in a room June 17, 1997, and watching him take his last breath. And I know, instinctively, <laughs> I know when I'm talking to somebody, he can say, me too. I, I know, and you know too, those of you who are in this situation, you know. You know when you're talking to somebody, this, they're not just trying to be compassionate, they're not just trying to be empathetic, they're not just trying to encourage you. No, they really know. Me too. Powerful, powerful to sit down with somebody who's a me too person. And yeah, we, we need tips and strategies and we need steps one, two, and three maybe to help us in our struggles. But maybe before that, before we get do one, two, three, four, five, before that happens, it's nice to sit with somebody who'll just say, me too. 
I don't have any steps to give you. I can just tell you, me too. I'm there too. I struggle too. I'm weak too. I need the power of Jesus too. And I don't always feel like I have it, but I need it and I want it. Me too. As I was studying this week, I came across a, a sermon that Charles Spurgeon had preached on this, on this passage in 2 Corinthians. Spurgeon's one of the most famous preachers ever, who himself, the last probably 30 years of his life, dealt with physical and emotional struggles. A lot of depression, a lot of, a lot of physical uh, problems uh, that he dealt with. <clears throat> and here's just one line from that message. It's easy to believe in grace for the past and the future. But to rest in it for the immediate necessity is true faith. I read that and I thought, yes. It's easy for me to tell you about all the things in my past that God has helped me with and strengthened me with and brought me through. I can tell those stories. And it's easy to think, well, one day God's got a plan. It's going to work out. I know God's going to do something down the road. The hard part of faith is trusting God with the struggle today. Spurgeon goes on to say, at this moment, and at all moments which shall ever occur between now and glory, the grace of God will be sufficient for you. Not just back there. Not just he's going to work it out someday for what I'm struggling with today. It's enough. And maybe like Paul, I just need to get comfortable saying me too and stop putting on airs of spirituality. I just need to be okay with saying, yeah, me too. So why don't we practice saying me too? All right, I'll make a statement and then all you have to do is say me too. We'll do a couple to get warmed up, all right? Like this one. I believe there will be Krispy Kreme in heaven. Absolutely. See, me too. We connected. Right. I believe cats are from the devil. Me too. That's right. See, I knew it. I knew we connected. I hope the Falcons can beat a backup quarterback today. I'm weak. I struggle. And in my struggles, I have found a power from Jesus that I never experience anywhere else. God, thank you for struggles. None of us are signing up for any today. None of us want to be on the list to get one. But like Paul, we're not going to pretend that we don't have them either. We're going to say, me too. I struggle too. I'm weak too. I need Jesus more and more too. I need His power. I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. 
Don't think more of me than you should, because it's not true. What's true is I'm struggling. And in those struggles, the power of Jesus is real and overwhelming and capable, not just for the past, not just to someday work things out, but today His grace is sufficient. Me too.